Morning. So if you're wondering if I'm wearing gold and blue because the Irondequoit Eagles won the sectional championship, no, you would be right. So it's been a few years since I played, but still I have pride. Uh, anyway. There you go, the U of R. There we go. I like to hear that. I'm also an alum. There you go. See? Paying attention out there. I love that. Uh, the premise uh, of this series that we're in this morning is that video reintroduced in the early chapters of the book of Matthew uh, is that in Jesus' calling, which is what these early chapters talk about, right? Matthew chapter 3 and 4, where we are, we find our own calling, right? In his calling, we find our own calling. Just as we, uh, you know, in the words that the Father speaks in the baptism of Jesus, we are supposed to hear in our own baptism. That's why it's a public event. That's why it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That is to say, in my baptism, in your baptism, you should hear the words, this is my son, you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased, okay? In Jesus' calling, we see our own. And as it was true in baptism, it will also be true in the temptation, the temptations of life and in the challenges of life, which is where we find, pick up the story this morning, the temptation of Jesus. We not only hear the Father's words in our baptism, we have the same opportunity to hear his voice and to um, appreciate, appropriate his strength in our temptations, in our challenges. That's where we are this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you have a copy of the Bible, open it up, turn it on, and follow along as I read the first 11 verses in a message titled, A Time to Learn. A Time to Learn. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a, the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written... Even the devil can quote scripture, right? He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him back, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. In all of the Gospels, or at least the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the baptism of Jesus, which we looked at last couple weeks ago, and the temptation of Jesus, they're taught together, they go together, they're in a single unit. You know, if sermons were an hour and a half, I'd do it all on one Sunday, but they're taught together, they go together, because the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus are both about the same thing. They're about vocation. 
right? When the Spirit came down in the baptism, it wasn't the first time the Spirit came on Jesus, right? Like in the sense of it was about his salvation or something. The, Jesus was conceived in the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that in, in December and we look at the Christmas story. No, G, the, bapti- the Spirit of God coming down on Jesus was about his calling. It was about his vocation. It was about his going public with being the Son of God and the voice box of God, the messenger of God, the servant of God. God. It's, it's about his vocation, but it's interesting, it ought to be interesting uh, to us, that his first stop out of the baptismal waters was not, you know, a, a, the temple to give a sermon. It was not, you know, a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. His first stop was the wilderness. And it's clear in verse 4, verse 1, where we read, he didn't just stumble into the wilderness, right? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's there on purpose. And again, remember, in his calling, we're supposed to see our own. I want you to think about this. Throughout the scriptures, right, if I had time this morning, people, the wilderness, I should say, is the place where people very often meet God. It's where Abraham first met him. It's where Jacob first met him. It's where Moses first met him at the burning bush. It's where Elijah first met him. David first met him. It's where Jesus meets God in a manner of speaking. Listen, the Old Testament people of God for whom which Jesus is sort of reenacting their history, right, in the wilderness, that's where they first met God. Now, they'd been in existence for hundreds of years, but they, they didn't meet God. They didn't have the revelation of God in the Egypt. They had to come out of Egypt, an analogy of our own redemption, right? I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. The Red Sea is sort of an analogy for our redemption. It's in the wilderness that they meet God. It's in the wilderness that they get the revelation. It's in the wilderness that Moses gets the burning bush, right? Jesus, in all three of these responses to the devil, right? Verse 4, verse 7, verse 10, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And he does that because the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy is the great sermon to the people of God by Moses who are living in the wilderness, right? And what Jesus is doing is not only identifying with the people of God, but where the people of God failed, Jesus succeeds, right? But I would suggest to you that the wilderness is the first stop for every serious follower of Jesus. Are you one? Am I one? Right? What is the wilderness? It's about leaving the old life behind. Right? When Moses took off, uh, he was cutting a cord. It's about leaving the old life behind and developing a different level of trust in God to take you, to take me maybe to take a church to a new place, right? The wilderness is the first stop in a new beginning with God. Let me give you just two very quick examples. I could give you dozens, but for sake of time. Uh, a, uh, an overlooked and abused and often forgotten woman named Hagar 
Genesis 16, the second wife of Abraham, not a well-known character to some of us, and a very well-to-do, very well-known man named Moses, okay? Both of their stories are told. Hagar, again, many of you may not know her, but look at her story, Genesis 16 and following, and of course Moses in the first couple chapters in the book of Exodus. Both of them found themselves thrust into the wilderness. They didn't choose it. Hagar got impregnated by Abraham because of Sarah's anxiety of being, not having any kids, and she set it up, and then she has this, uh, she's, she has a child, and Sarah becomes, turns her, uh, an attitude, uh, a, a negative attitude on her, and thrusts her out into the wilderness. Get out of here. Get away from us. And this woman finds herself out in the wilderness to fan for herself. Same with Moses in a manner of speaking. He was this great prince, this great well-known uh, uh, you know, leader and, and prince of Egypt. And he gets on the wrong side of Pharaoh. Many of you know that story. And finds himself one day on the run living in the wilderness. But here's what happens. Very quick study. The wilderness is the first stop in a new beginning with God, right? Two things that happened to both Hagar and Moses. An abused, overlooked woman, slave woman, and a very well-to-do, well-known man named Moses. First of all, they both have a revelation from God. The God, they, they, they they come to know God by a new name that they didn't know him before in the wilderness. Hagar's out there under a tree. She says, I'm almost done. I'm gonna eat my last meal. My son and I are gonna die. And God appears to her and says, I love you, I see you, and I'm gonna do something great in your life. And she says, behold, low, bear, high, row. The Hebrew says, a God who sees me. She has a revelation of God. Moses is out for 40 years on the desert and he sits down in front of a burning bush and God says, listen, I'm gonna tell you who I really am. I am the great I am. I am with you. They both get a revelation of God. They both get a promise, right, on their lives and then both of them are sent back to where they came from with a new sense of purpose. That's what happens in the wilderness. It was true for them. It was true for the people of God And it's true for Jesus. Remember, the Spirit, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It was not a mistake uh, that Jesus was there. And it also says this. Think about what Jesus is doing. It said he fasted for 40 days. Now, why why did Jesus fast? Why does anybody fast if you do fast in this room, right? Did Jesus fast because he wanted to um, earn God's favor? I don't think so. We don't fast. Jesus didn't fast to earn God's favor. Jesus was fasting so that he might better hear from God, right? Think about your own life. He's in the wilderness, not because he did something wrong. Moses isn't in the wilderness because he just because he did something wrong. Hagar wasn't in the wilderness because she did something wrong. Jacob wasn't in the wilderness because he did something wrong. They were there so that they might have an ability to turn down the volume on all the noise of everyday life and they could hear God. That's why they were in the wilderness. What is fasting, right? It's about, it's not just food, it's about shutting down your appetites, shutting down your cravings, stopping the mindless, anxious behavior that so, is so much a part of our modern life so that God's word can actually get a hold of you, so that you can actually hear God. That's what it's about. It's the, the first temptation is about the decision 
that we all need to make about what is most important in life. Jesus says, listen, this is what I've learned in the wilderness. Go ahead and make some bread out of stones. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that. Because man does not live by bread. He's not talking simply about food. He's talking about the things of this life. Man does not live by bread. Yes, God cares about the things that I need. He cares about the temporalities. Does God care about them? Yes, he does, but they're not the substance of life. They're not the true source of life. Does that mean you shouldn't have a family? Does that mean you and I shouldn't have a career? Does that mean you shouldn't have uh, any fun in life? No, it's not saying that at all, but it's saying that those things ought not to be the primary drivers of your life because through the people that populate your life and through the things in your life, God is trying to get your attention to give you a sense of purpose. Do you know what it is? Do I know what it is? That's what he's talking about. The wilderness is where God does some of his greatest work in your life. It's where we learn what life really means and what really matters. So here's the application for this message or one of them. If you are there, right? Don't raise your hand. But if you are in a wilderness of a, of a kind, maybe physically speaking, you're in one. Maybe emotionally speaking, maybe spiritually, you're in a wilderness of sorts. You don't think God's listening to you anymore. You don't think God's in your life anymore. Maybe professionally, you're in the wilderness. Maybe relationally, you're in the wilderness. You're stuck. You think, well, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm in the wilderness. God must be mad at me. God must be unhappy with me. God must want to, uh, has forgotten me. Well, that's not the truth for Moses. It wasn't true for Jacob. It wasn't true for Hagar. It wasn't true of David. It wasn't true of the people of God. It wasn't true of Jesus. God does some of his best work in the wilderness. But are you in a place where you're listening to him, right? Maybe you need to commit yourself this morning to a kind of fasting, Right? so that you might learn what God might have to say to you in this season of your life. The wilderness is the first stop in a new beginning with God. Second, God's purpose in the wilderness is the testing of your faith, right? It was true of the Old Testament people of God. It was true of Moses and many others. It's true of Jesus, and it ought to be true of you and me. In, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? What in the world does that mean? Not only is Jesus led by the Spirit, right? Led by God, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness, right? Not a fun place. To be tempted by the devil. What does this say about God, well, I know because the New Testament tells me God doesn't tempt anybody. James 1.13. When tempted, no one ought to say God is tempting me for God doesn't tempt anyone. But God uses challenges. God uses difficulties. God even uses the great challenger, so to speak, to deepen your dependence on him and to change you. You know, the, the, the word in um, the Greek word that underlies test. Translated tempted in verse 1 of chapter 4. It's the exact same word translated in other places, test, right? That's the exact same word, same Greek word, perazo. It's the same word. It just depends on the context. What's being said here? 
What is he saying here? Listen, the first test, you shall not, man shall not live by bread alone, is the challenge to, to um, be uh, uh, underconfident in what God is doing in your life. God's not going to show up, right? I'm underconfident. Or the second temptation, right? Go put yourself in a position where God has to show up. I'm not sure God is even here. So I'm going, to go, I'm going to go up to the top of this temple and just jump off. I'm going to do something stupid in my life so God has to show up. There's a temptation of being underconfident. God's not around. I'm going to have to make my own bread. I'm going to have to meet my own needs because he's not here. Or I'm going to have to create a situation where God's going to have to show up in my life, right? The first is underconfidence. The second is overconfidence. But both of them, listen carefully, are addressed by Jesus um, words in response to, the, to, to Satan in this passage. But I want to read the whole passage. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen carefully. God's purpose in the wilderness of whatever kind of wilderness you might be in today. Physical. Emotional. Spiritual. Professional. Relational. Right? Pastor, I'm in, a, I'm in the wilderness. I'm in a bad place. I'm in a hard place. I don't think God's around. I must have done something wrong. No, that's not the case necessarily. The wilderness is where God does his best work. Do you know that? Do I know that? For Deuteronomy 8. Listen carefully to the full quotation that Jesus is talking about here. Be careful, right? Jesus is the second Adam, he's the second Abraham, he's the second Moses, right? Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. God has a purpose for your life beyond redemption or salvation, I should say, just being saved. Remember how the Lord your God led you in the wilderness, God leads you in the wilderness, right? You didn't find your own way there. These 40 years to humble you and to test you, tempt you, it's the same word, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, right? There's nothing wrong with having a family. There's nothing wrong with having a career. There's nothing wrong with having some fun in life. But that's not the purpose of your life. Has it become the purpose of your Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But see, some of us can't hear him. Put your smartphone down. Turn the stupid television off, right? Stop watching the news so much. Get real. Get with it. Right? God has something he wants to say to you and he might need to take you into the wilderness just so you can hear him. So I can hear him. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Now listen, know then in your heart, right? This is the purpose of the wilderness so that you might know what's in your heart. Do you know what's in your heart? That as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Why does God bring difficulty into your life? Why does God allow difficulty into your life? Why does God even allow, uh, you know, Satan or the devil in your life? To strengthen your faith. To help you better determine your priorities, right? To better enrich your witness. To make you and me more useful to the other people around us, right? God challenges you. God challenges me 
Because I've been relying too much, you've been relying too much on your own resourcefulness. Because of your, how prayerless you have become. How prayerless I have become. Because life, your life, my life, our lives, have become too determined by materialistic values, right? That's what the last temptation is, by the way, right? Then the devil takes, this isn't for Jesus' sake simply, it's for yours and mine. So then Jesus takes him up onto a high mountain so he can see all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, so that he can see their splendor, right? See, there's, there's, there's a lie. I would say of the three temptations, the third one is perhaps the most challenging for us, right? It's the one that holds the most power over our lives because at the heart of it is a lie, and here's the lie. You can live in the world, that is to say, live by the world's value system and still be a serious follower of Jesus, right? That's what many of us think. You can go ahead and live by the world's values and still be a serious follower of Jesus Christ. Well, the truth is, it sounds good, but it's not true. And it's the reason that some of us, maybe many of us, even in church like we are today, we're Christ followers, but there's no real power in our lives. Because we, we, really, we don't know how to listen to God. And we don't, we, don't, we don't find ourselves in a wilderness. We don't choose to fast in a manner of speaking, to listen to what God has to say. No, we're just, the noise level is, is still too loud in our lives. And we don't know what God is doing. God is testing us in many cases. We don't even know it. The wilderness is the first stop in a new beginning with God. God's purpose in the wilderness is the testing of your faith. Quick story. I was, a couple weeks ago, I heard a man speak. His name is Tom Ryan. He is the um, head coach of the, of the Ohio State wrestling team, which just won a national championship. And he was here in town. I got to meet him. He spoke with a couple friends, um, talking about his faith in Christ with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But this is what he said. His, his short little sermon was this. He said, in life I have learned that there is both chosen suffering and unchosen suffering. And he said, chosen suffering is the suffering that I know a lot about as an athlete. I know what chosen suffering is ever since I was a kid, you know, as, an, as a serious athlete, which he was in both high school and college. He said, you know, listen, I, I made a choice to get up really early in the morning. I had a choice to skip these meals. I made a choice to say no to going out. I understood I lived under a very rigid discipline. It was chosen suffering, and I understood it, and I lived my life by it. But 10 years ago, he said, his career was just beginning to take off. His youngest son dropped dead in their living room, right? They found out from some, you know, unknown uh, um, um, condition. They didn't know he had it, and he succumbed to it, and his life was over. And he said, then I learned something. I learned what um, unchosen suffering is. And he said, the interesting thing is, chosen suffering never, it brought me to the weight room, but it never brought me to my knees. Cho unchosen suffering brought me to my knees. Okay? But, lo, these 10 years later, he's not only been a very successful, just won the national championship, but he's found his purpose, right? He's heard from God, and now he travels around as he was here with college athletes, talking about how God's power 
through his pain has changed his life, redirected his life, and he's talking about God to students all over the country, right? God's purpose in the wilderness is the testing of your faith. Last point, the last temptation. We're not here to seek the world's approval, but to help serve its deepest needs. That's what Jesus is doing, right? That's what Jesus, listen, Jesus can tell Satan to shove it, which is what he does, right, in those last verses, right? Get away from me, Satan. And he can choose the cross over, you know, vanity fair, so to speak, the splendor of this world, not only because he loves you and loves me, but because he wants to show you how to live, right? Every single day, in a dozen ways, this pastor, this day, a dozen ways, I will be tempted, you will be tempted to distrust God. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. To distrust God's will for your life, what saith the Lord? Jesus passed all the tests for you. That's what the table is about, right? He could have given into his fear and believe that God was not going to show up. That's what the first temptation's about. You need to make bread because God's not going to give you what you need. He could have overplayed his hand, forcing his father to bail him out. That's what the second temptation's about. Go put yourself in a position. Let's go up to the highest mountain on the tip of the temple, and you jump off and see if God catches you, right? Either God's not going to show up or maybe we decide we need to put ourselves in a position that will force his hand, right? Or, third temptation, you could have bypassed the cross and received the world's approval, right? I'll give you all the splendor, all the approval of the world. But instead of receiving the world's approval, he accepted its rejection, okay, for you and for me. Where the nation of Israel failed, listen, where Abraham failed, where Moses failed, where David failed, where Elijah failed, where you failed and I failed, Jesus passed the test. But here's what's so interesting about these temptations. Instead of, respond, instead of responding in ways that he could have, could Jesus have turned bread into stones? Stones, excuse me, into bread? I think he could have. If Jesus, if Jesus took this foolish... Um, uh, you know, provocation by the devil and, 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 and did this leap, uh, would God have saved him just like would God have released the legions of angels if he would have uh, called for it? I think he would have. But Jesus responds to temptation in a way that everyday people like you and me can emulate. I can't turn stones into bread. I can't walk on water, I can't fly, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can answer temptation with the word of God. It is written, right? Man shall not live by bread alone. I got a different purpose for life. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, serve the Lord your God and worship and serve the Lord your God only, right? I can do that, you can do that. So as we take this table today, of our ushers to prepare themselves, I want you to think about where you are this morning in your relationship with God, right? In Jesus' calling, 
That's why this is here. This isn't just a lesson, guys. This isn't, this isn't history class, right? In Jesus' calling, you are supposed to see your own. In his baptism, I hope you start every day in a manner of speaking, listening for those words. You are my son. Dave, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. Patty, you are my daughter in whom I... Do you believe that? I heard this pastor say this recently. He said, I was, I was with this, this couple and this guy said to me, you know, pastor, what I really wish was true for me, I wish what I most want for my life is that I would love God more. I'm struggling with it. I wish I loved him more. And the pastor said, that's not your problem. Your problem is that you don't love, you don't need to love God more. You need to know how much God loves you more, right? Then you'll learn how to love him more. That's what we're talking about here when we take about this table. Perhaps you're in a wilderness of a kind, right? A place where there's a deep, unmet hunger in your life and you're wondering if God is ever going to meet it, right? And you're tempted to want to try to go after something, right? Instead of wait on God. Or maybe you're in the church. You're here this morning. I'm here this morning. But you're living in the world. And you want a way out. And it's too, it may be too powerful. It is too powerful for you. But it is not too powerful for him. Trust him to meet your deepest needs. To show up for you on his timetable. Right? It's not go throw yourself in, a, in some situation to see if God shows up. No. You show up on his timetable. Learn to trust him. Right? That he will be able to give you the strength uh, to give you what you need and to give you the strength to say no where you need it, where you need to say no, and commit your life uh, on the words of God. It is written. It is written.